0: I'd always said to the kids, even from a young age, you can talk to me about anything. Now, here's the kicker, though. If you say that to kids, you've got to be open to anything. So when they come to you, you have to be open to anything. How you explain it obviously will be age appropriate. Try and make them no big deal conversations. He's making a comment, you know, hi, mum, what's an orgasm? Can we have, you know, chicken for dinner? Sort of in the same sort of theory. So reply, normalise it. So it makes it an everyday conversation.
1: Hello and welcome to Mum Life, a podcast for ambitious mums navigating the sweet and messy journey of motherhood. I'm Leonie Akitano, and each week I will bring you conversations with mums and parenting experts about the highs and lows of motherhood and tips to make our lives that little bit easier. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Mum Life. So in Melbourne, we've been in lockdown and um, that has been absolutely glorious. I feel with two under two, parenting, having a career and all of that, uh, lockdown is a bit like oil and water, Um, doesn't quite mix. So it's been a little challenging on the parenting front. But before I go into that, I wanted to let you know that this week I'm bringing you an episode with a mentor of mine, Justine Tegelov. She's an absolute powerhouse, but we talk about her motherhood journey and she went from being extremely career-oriented to having her first child and then spending the next seven years At home, raising her then two children, Um, so it's really interesting to sort of see how that transition went. And then following that, she started a business with her husband, and she became the CEO of that business. And then went on to do a number of other ventures as well. Has actually been to Necker Island twice, so has met Sir Richard Branson, which I think is just so cool. But yeah, today, although she's been very successful as far as her career goes, today we really delve into her motherhood journey, and we. Talk about now that her children are in their 20s we talk about what those teenage years look like and also how we can foster strong bonds with our children so that they come to us in the later years of life for our you know advice and they don't shy away from that So before we get into it, I'd like to give you a quick mum life moment. And this was literally one afternoon in lockdown with the kids and husband in tow. So literally, I remember it was an afternoon. It was too cold to take the kids out. So I was like, right, this is going to be TV for the next couple of hours. So whack on the TV, sit down to my emails and think, okay, good, there's silence, happy days. Within two and a half minutes, Noah's come up to me, my little two-and-a-half-year-old, Mom, change the show. Then I hear banging in the kitchen, so I look over and there's Charlie. He's already opened one of the shelves and taken all the pots and pans out and is trying to put them all back in. So while I race over to look to get Charlie, Noah's screaming because the show that I'd chosen isn't the show that he wanted. And then Charlie's screaming because I took the pots and pans out of his ha- hand and I look over to Jules and Jules is there on a Zoom call on mute, smiling and nodding with all of this chaos in the background. And then as you'd have it, my phone goes off and it's a work call. So there I am with the pots and pans in one hand and ch- and the remote control on the other. And I said, kids, you're just going to have to deal with yourselves for a second. So I'm climbing over toys to try and get to our courtyard so I can take the call. Noah's screaming, Charlie's screaming because I'd taken the pot that he wanted and bloody blah. Anyway, I close the door behind me and I could just hear distant screams in the background and I answer my phone. I'm on the phone, the kids are running up to the door that leads to the courtyard and are banging on it and are screaming, and I'm there just trying to be calm, take my call. and then as soon as the call, I wrap that one up pretty quickly ends. I walk straight back into my screaming household and I look at the clock and I'm like, "Wow' only been 15 minutes since I turned the TV on. We still have several hours before these children are going to bed. Mama needs to open a bottle of wine. So (laughs) I'm not sure if that seems at all relatable um, from where you are all at and if whether you've had lockdown experiences similarly, but it's certainly not an easy one and really does test that patience that we have. But Fortunately, childcare has stayed open, so that's certainly a win, and I do feel for those parents who have to homeschool as well, trying to juggle their own jobs and careers and hobbies and sanity. It's not an easy one. Okay, so we're going to shoot off to the episode now, talking to Justine about all things parenting. Hi, Justine. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. So today we're talking all things motherhood and your motherhood journey. Tell us a little bit about who Justine was pre-babies.
0: Pre-babies. I was working in the health system. I was a nurse working and actually majored in psychiatric nursing. Um, I was quite career oriented at that time. I was managing um, an eating disorder clinic, so I was really looking at my future Um, And apart from that, that was pretty much in a nutshell. I was living for the, I guess, the day-to-day, the moment-to-moment sort of things. But it was really looking at my nursing career um, is what I was focusing on pre-children. And then children came. And did that take up a fair bit of your time, your job? Was it it quite demanding? It was very demanding, um, particularly because I was working in psychiatry. Um, you can imagine it, it's not an easy space. It's a very rewarding space, but it's not an easy space to be in. Mm-hmm. So a lot of my time um, obviously was working in that area, but also when you went home it would take you quite a long time to actually unwind as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I could probably say that even when I finished my shift, it would take me a good hour or so to completely unwind. Um, and I was in my, what was I, probably 20, maybe early 20s, I was really looking at what was going to be the next step for for my future within Particularly the psych nursing field and where I wanted to go with that, um, so I was really looking at how do I develop myself more um, as a as a better nurse.
1: What did that look like for you at the time? What did where did you want to go with your career? Uh,
0: I didn't actually have a clear picture in my head exactly where I wanted to go, but I knew that I didn't want to be working on the ward all the time. I really enjoyed managing people. Um, so when I was managing the eating disorder clinic, I really enjoyed the fact that I was not only working with patients, but I was also working with staff and, and I knew that I wanted to get down that path is actually managing a multitude of different people
1: than not just patient contact. And also a little less emotionally taxing, I'm sure as well, or <laughs> well, actually in a different way, maybe. Than... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, probably the answer
0: to that would be yes, but I knew that if I wanted to go down the particular career path, if I was going to go down the managerial one, I really needed to um, have less time, I guess, with patience and more time in the administration role. But that was about as far as I knew that I wanted to go.
1: Okay. And, uh, what about on the weekends and things like that? How did you like to spend your time? (laughs) I was a party girl. Let's be honest. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds familiar. (laughs) I was a
0: party girl. You know, yes, I was thinking about my career, but I was in my early twenties. I was also having fun, you know, I get paid on a Thursday and I'd probably, drank it, ate it and smoked it by Monday. (laughs) So so um, I was living in the moment, having fun, but knowing, you know, okay, I I have a profession, so I probably should think a little bit seriously, but I was still young. I was just having fun.
1: Yeah. And so (laughs) at what point did you sort of have that let's have a child conversation with Rod, your husband?
0: Um, I can't really recall a particular moment. Um, but I was, I was getting to sort of my later 20s and I think it was sort of the evolution, oh, okay, well, we got together, we got engaged, we got married, you know, we bought a house. I guess what comes now next is children. So I can't really remember a particular point but I do sort of think, oh, I was, you know, I definitely was in my later 20s and I thought, okay, I'm supposed to be a big girl now, mature. I guess yeah. I now have children. So, it's, yeah, yeah I, I can't say I had this real massive yearning to be a mother right from the get-go. I knew that I was going to be a mum, but that was about it. I, I couldn't say that I was one of those beautiful, you know, maternal. Oh
1: when babies were around, yeah, I would just look at them and go, yeah, okay, that's a baby. Um, mm. But, yeah, so <laughs> quite funny. <laughs> I can totally relate to that as well. And it's almost like that, yeah, okay, well, what do we do now? So, okay, next chapter, you have children. Like, you know, just like yeah. let's tick that box too <laughs> and see what happens, you know.
0: It was, it was. I can't remember if it was any conscious decision, but it was sort of, okay, that's the next thing. Tick, we've done this. Tick, okay, yep, now we have children.
1: Mm. Mm. And what did you think in your mind? that was going to do to your career? What was your plan around your career? I had in my head, as like most things, never go to plan, I
0: thought that I would have my children or my first child and I would be back at work within six months and I would be continuing as normal. Little did I know that I knew nothing. <laughs> so I thought, yeah, yeah, I'll go back to work after six months um, <laughs> and, head, you know, continue heading down my career path. Um, mm-hmm.
1: But then obviously that didn't happen. <laughs> was Rod also very career-oriented as well?
0: Um, yes, he was actually. He Yes and no. So he actually had his own business. He was in landscaping when we first got together. Um, so he was career-orientated in that sense, but he also knew that he wanted to further educate himself so at some point he was going to go to university. Um, so when we first uh, looked at having children, when I first got pregnant, he was actually a university student. Mm. So yes, he was career orientated, but he knew that he had to go back to university to head down a particular path. And and the reason he went to uni was so that he wasn't on the tools anymore because he was landscaping and and he knew that know body wouldn't um, take the, it would take its toll on his body. Mm. So to answer that question, yes. Um, Wow. I can't even
1: I can't even imagine like trying to study and then you know having a newborn and you know sleepless nights and all the rest of it what wow <laughs>
0: we were, we were idiots <laughs> In hindsight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Look, we were young and we thought, yeah, you know, we can do this. Um, mm-hmm. And like most things you do, you just get on with it. But, yes, mm-hmm. look, it was very, very, very trying and very taxing. Um, he was a full-time uni student. I was a new mother. Um, I thought I would go back to to uh, work after six months. I didn't realise that when I got pregnant, all of a sudden I just loved the idea about being a mum. And when my first daughter was born and my first child was born, I loved being a home mum and that was it. I didn't go back to work. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was very difficult because we, we had no money really coming in. We were living off um, <laughs> government payments really, odd mm-hmm. study and parenting payment back then. Um, mm-hmm. So it was quite difficult. We used to laugh because we would get our bills and I would put the bill on the fridge, and the the bill at the fridge would be: this is your first. This is going to disconnect if you do not pay the bill. We're going to disconnect. And the one one at the back would be: this is your first warning. And I've literally moved the bills forward <laughs> as we go <come> along. <laughs> living on the edge, just <laughs> living living on the edge of nothing. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> so, at what point? So you mentioned there, you know, obviously very career focused, um, you know, and then you know, baby comes along and all of a sudden no, not so much. Talk me through that transition. What what happened there?
0: Yeah, look, I, I honestly didn't think it would happen and, I, and um, I don't really know what quite happened. All I know is when I found out I was pregnant with uh, my first child, you know, I couldn't even wait to tell people to the 12-week mark. I think we found out when I was about three or four weeks and I, and I said to my husband, right, well, We'll wait to hit 12 weeks. I won't let work know. You know, I was just filling in the managerial position, so, you know, let's just keep it focused. Well, I went to work that day and told everybody. But, <laughs> Did you know, you know? <laughs> yeah. They said, how are you? And I'm like, oh, I'm pregnant. <laughs> Three weeks. <laughs> Three weeks. And they, my husband said to me, well, that was the worst kept secret. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, don't, I can't explain it, but something happened mm-hmm. within me. I just thought, yeah, this feels right. Um, and so then when my daughter came along and I uh, was all of a sudden looking at this little being, it just felt right. It felt comfortable and right for me to, to stay at home. Um, and I guess the prior, my priorities changed.
1: in Did, that you, ha- moment. Did you have any idea at that point, how long you might want to stay home for, or were you going to just sort of play by ear?
0: Yeah, I, I didn't really have, I, I knew that. So with my job, I had, they could back then they were able to hold it for a year. So I knew I had a year. And I probably thought, mm, okay, maybe after a year I'll head back. I never ever envisioned that I would stay home and be a home mum for seven years. If someone mm-hmm. had said to me at the beginning when I had my daughter, "You'll be home for seven years," I would have, "Well, I don't think so. I think maybe a year would be the max and then I'll, then I'll head back. Um, but once I became, you know pregnant with my second one, all of a sudden I just became this <laughs> mother Earth being. and I just wanted <laughs> to be <laughs> home,
1: be home. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's amazing, isn't it? Because often as well, I mean, one big uh, sort of challenge that I've faced is just that sense of loss of identity once you become a mum because you, you know, similarly I was the party party, work hard, play hard kind of character before children and then all of a sudden you're like, oh God, I don't really feel like I'm a mum but like I guess I am. I've got kids and this is it but who am I, you know, within this new structure? So, um, and a lot of people, even myself, tie ourselves Worth to our jobs and you know the outputs that we you know put out to the world. So how did that transition go for you? So
0: my husband and I talked about this because I, the first part I, I did struggle a little bit when I got pregnant was um, because I had been nursing, I wouldn't financially be contributing because I would be you know working for I'll be a full time mum. So I struggled a little bit with that part. Then I did struggle because I had a title when I went to work. The people knew Justine as the clinical nurse manager. So then we talked about um, my role and it was probably a really good conversation because we actually said, okay, my job, my new job, I guess, was actually going to be a mum. And I think that probably changed my mindset because I actually looked at it as a job. My husband would go to work in the morning and he'd be gone all day. I'd clock in in the morning with the kids and I was doing my job. My job has happened to be mum. Um, but in that, I guess what entailed as part of my job was the cooking, the cleaning, you know, looking after the children, things like that. So I never felt that it was devalued. So I, I guess I found a new identity as a mum because it was my job. So mm-hmm. I guess I kind of looked at it a little bit differently. And there was a, we also discussed it was a great amount of respect for that job as the mum. You weren't mm-hmm. just the mum. You were, you know, you had you had a very important job to do, just as he did when he went to work
1: or went to uni. So. Hmm. so it was a conversation that you had prior to having kids. How did that sort of come about?
0: Um, I don't know if we had a, a clear conversation in regards to that, but we both, when we, started, when we got together, it was very clear that we had a great respect for parenting and we had a great respect and understanding of what the role of the home carer, because we did actually at one point talk, would, would I be the one that would stay at home or would he stay at home? Mm-hmm. Um, So we did actually have a conversation for for us as a couple. We just felt it was important that one of us be at home, particularly through those informative years with the children. Um, So I guess there was some really good, honest conversations about what we held were important things um, as a home parent, and the biggest one was respecting the person who was going to be home, that it wasn't Mm -hmm. just sort of a just job. It was just as important as the person that would be going out of the house to go to work. Um, so,
1: yeah, we did have those sort of conversations, I guess. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, I think it's 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 so true. Often we think, you know, and potentially maybe the way we've been brought up too, it's like, well, the one that stays home, oh, they've got the easy end of the stick and then you become a mum or a parent oh, wow. and you go, wowza, look. Not so much. I'd take work any day personally. <laughs>
0: <Correct>. <laughs> you know, in hindsight, you can look back and think, yes, you know, I thought, oh, Mother Earth, it's hard work, oh, yeah. you know, and I look at it and think, okay, well, it was like a job because, okay, I didn't have traditional KPIs, I didn't have traditional goals, but actually in reflection, yes, you do, my KPIs and my goals were, you know, was I showered before two PM in the afternoon? Mm. Did my kids get fed? You know, <laughs> was I changing their nappies? Like, they're actually KPIs, mm. they're your mm. goals that you have. So I kind of viewed it that way that, you know,
1: yes, um, it was a job and there were particular goals I, <laughs> I had to yeah. to meet. It's such a good way of thinking about it because I know for myself as well. One thing that I struggle with is I do love a bit of external validation, and I think through our careers and <laughs> other hobbies that we have, we get that external validation. It feeds us, and you know, and so I think some of us need it less than others. Um, but certainly, when I'm sitting there with two screaming children, nappies to change, you know, stuff is everywhere. It's a mess, and I'm sitting there going, and I'm just exhausted. I'm like, I'm not getting any external validation. From its job. <laughs> so it's actually quite challenging for me from a resilience and mental perspective as well, because no one cares, like just get on with it because you've got to keep your kids alive and safe and healthy and all those things. Did you struggle at all with with that? or I
0: did. I did. And, and I guess I was very fortunate because I had a husband that came home and validated my role. He would always say how wonderful I was doing with the kids, you know, um, and how proud he was. Also, other family members, you know, they were also telling me that, you know, the kids were great and they're so much the fun to be around. I think the big one for me was when people wanted to babysit my children or probably not just even babysit, when people wanted to spend time with my kids. I knew that I must be doing something right because my kids were enjoyable to be around Mm -hmm. and so I guess in that sense it was a a sort of a bit of a validation that yeah your kids are really nice kids I want to spend time with them so I would look
1: at that as an external validation of yeah you're doing okay there kiddo we're doing a good job and isn't it just the the biggest and most important job in the world to raise you know good people uh like you can't really get much better than that there's (laughs) nothing else (laughs) through any job that you do will really I don't know personally I I don't think that would give me that level of satisfaction correct it is
0: the most important role that you have it's, it's mm. the legacy that you are going to be leaving behind um yeah, yeah. and that's where i guess that that conversation of total respect and understanding what that role and truly grasping what the value of that role is it's more than just you know changing nappies feeding mm. and things like that i mean mm. there's, there's so much more to it i mean kids just don't wake up learning how to use a fork and a spoon and walking and riding and all that sort of stuff guess what You know, when you're a home parent, you're teaching them as well as, you know, everything else.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So tell me, because parenthood, you never really clock on and clock off. So (laughs) how did you clock on and clock off from your (laughs) new job as a mum?
0: Well, here's a short answer. You don't. Mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, to sort of say you clock on and clock off, you don't. A parent, to become a parent is now your life. It, it's just another layer of your onion, I guess. You know, when I was younger, I was, you know, I was the daughter, I was the sister, I was the friend, I was the worker, and then it's just another layer that goes in it. You never clock out of it, really, being honest. Mm-hmm. Um But you do learn some things that you need to do so you are not a walking basket case uh, when the kids wake up. And one of those things is actually saying, you know what, I'm going to actually give myself a little bit of time here because if I don't give myself a bit of space from you, I'm not going to do my job and none of us are going to enjoy this. So one of those things that I used to do was they used to have every Tuesday, I don't know if they still do it, every Tuesday was um, mum and bubs and it was really cheap movies. Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't take my bub with me. I went by myself and I sat and watched a movie. I was, per- yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. I was that person that was sitting there all by herself and I couldn't have been happier. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so I would hand the kids to my husband say, yeah. see you later. I'm out of here. And it was my time for me to just get away. You know, just it's so myself.
1: important, isn't it, to to find that balance wherever you can. And if it's once a week for an hour or two at the cinema or whatever it is, just to, to sort of find that balance. How was um Rod? Were you sort of when he was home? Was it sort of that fifty fifty parenting when you were both home in the evenings? How did you manage that?
0: Yeah. So even though he was studying, he was still doing um, some of his landscaping. So when he would come home from work, the deal was that was when he would really, I guess, knock on in regards to being the dad role. So he would come home. So bath time was his. So why he was giving the kids the bath, A, it's quality time just for him and the kids, but it also give me time to quickly get dinner ready or things like that. But he would clock on. And that would be his special time. And then it was a 50-50 role. When he was in the house, it was 50-50. Obviously when he'd go out of the house and it was my job, but Mm -hmm. no, for sure. And it's much easier to, I guess, to request or get more of an equal 50-50 when you have more than one. So Mm -hmm. when our second child was born, you can't be in two places at once. So he had to help out. Now my first child He wouldn't take a bottle, wouldn't take anything, so it was quite demanding. And look, for him, you know, he actually said, look, apart from changing nappies and and all that sort of stuff, it was a bit more difficult, while my second one would take a bottle and things like that. Um, And, yeah, he basically had to step in and help because I physically couldn't be in two
1: places at once. Yeah, it's wow. Didn't take a bottle, geez. That would have been pretty challenging. It was a
0: nightmare. And she, yeah, she she wouldn't take a dummy or a bottle or anything. And my sister was worked in pediatrics and things like that. And I tried to get her to help me, and nothing worked. (laughs) It was was quite challenging. There were times actually that I would wake up in the morning and I'd go see the kids, and I think yeah, I'm not really enjoying this very much. <laughs> Can I have my resignation in? Yes. <laughs> Who do I need to, who's the boss? <laughs> because I don't, I don't want to be here no more. <laughs> you know, there was one oh, time, I <laughs> there was one time um, where I was, my daughter had decided when my son was born that she wanted to toilet train herself. Now, she was only 18 months, but she, you know, she said, nope, that's, you know, I, I don't want to wear nappies. <laughs> so I remember laying on the floor and my son had been up all night and he was in the pram. And I had him across where the floorboards and the carpet meet, uh, meet. and there's sort of a little ridge so I was sort of a little bump. So I was putting the pram backwards and forwards and my daughter was walking up and down the corridor. We had floorboards up and down the corridor with no napkin on, just weighing everywhere. Oh my And I remember God. laying there thinking, yeah, I'm not enjoying this. Like, <laughs> what the, what the freaking heck have I done? And, you know, I remember hearing all this, oh, beautiful motherhood and we're all yeah. connected and I'm thinking,
1: I ain't enjoying this yeah. one
0: bit. <laughs> This sucks,
1: big time. <laughs> it's like you think back to, like, your life prior and you're like, that wasn't so bad, was it? <laughs> exactly. And you know, you always hear people say, you don't
0: know what you know, don't know till you're there. Mm. Nice. And I think, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, I got it. I got it. Um, it but, yeah. <laughs> you can never prepare yourself, can you? You know, for the for the great moments and also for the really challenging ones, I just don't think you could ever really prepare yourself. It's just a work it out on the job kind of it is. It's a journey, and isn't it? That's
0: a real good point because I remember when um, Ali was born and I remember looking at her and thinking, holy crap, well, I'm now responsible for you. You know, I can't even get my own crap together yet. I'm now responsible for this little being. And, and I kind of went to a bit of a mini meltdown. And my husband came in he said, what's going on? And I said, I don't know what the freaking heck I'm doing here. Yeah. And I remember he looked at me and he said, don't worry because she – basically doesn't know any difference. It's and she just will think time. you are the best thing since sliced bread. And yeah. I thought, well, that's true. And then yeah. the other thing is just because, you know, you've got this beautiful being, it takes time to form that relationship. It doesn't happen overnight. And I think mm-hmm. that's probably where I got a little bit of stuck. I thought, well, you know, she's my child and it's mm-hmm. all going to connect and I didn't really pay enough attention to the fact it's going to take time. She's mm-hmm. going to, I'm going to learn her little nuances, you know, her cries and all this stuff, and I'm going to get to know her as a being as a sort of human, um, and that takes time.
1: Oh, absolutely. So, yeah. Talk me through because obviously your children are in their 20s now. So very interested in that sort of journey as far as the relationship goes um, with you yourself as a mother. Um, you had both a girl and a boy as well. Um, mm-hmm. So, or have, sorry, I should say. Um, <laughs> so curious, how does that relate? So, I mean, obviously, I've got two under two at the moment. They are just so needy. They love mom, they love dad. It's just hugs and kisses and tantrums. And talk to Tell me about sort of how, what, how that then evolves. So definitely, look, we've had some of those what I call the tricky sort of questions that
0: make you sort of swallow <laughs> and gulp a little bit. Um, so my, my second born um, was in primary school and, uh, and I'm not exactly sure, so probably maybe later primary school, and he hopped in the car and I, and I was like, hey, buddy, how's your day? He goes, yeah, yeah, good, thanks, Mum. What's an orgasm? And I remember sort of gulping and thinking, right, okay, how do, how do I answer this? Um, and so at that time both my kids knew how babies were made. So, you know, I gave the explanation, well, you know how babies are made? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's looking at me sort of inquisitively like, yeah, well, but what's an orgasm? And I said, well, I said, it. Um, so you know when babies are made, I said, you get this amazing, really fantastic, happy, happy feeling. And I said, it's nature's way of making sure we keep having babies because if it hurt, we wouldn't have babies. And he looked at me, and went, "Oh yeah, radio, fair enough." And then that was it. So I guess, I guess yeah. the thing is, the first one is relax, mm. because kids pick up straight away when you're uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, so just relax, take a, you know, take a breath, like I did, and went, and then think, okay, age appropriate. Like these kids in primary school, mm-hmm. um, so I had to obviously deliver a message that was age appropriate for them.
1: You say it so well. Like i was just like, how did you eat? I would be like, uh, uh it's uh, uh, maybe ask your dad. Like, <laughs> you know, I need more time to think about my
0: response. <laughs> you know the answer. I don't know how it came to me. It was yeah. just sort of. But again, if I look back now, it it, it didn't sort of surprise me in the sense because again, we sort of it, it didn't come from. Um, just out of the blue, we had this long relationship with you obviously since they were mm. born, and we had lots of time to to really get the communication open. Because I'd always said to the kids, even from a young age, you can talk to me about anything. Mm. Now, here's the kicker though if you say that to kids, you've got to be open to anything. So when they come to you, you have to be open to anything. How you explain it obviously will be age appropriate. Um, so, yeah, so relax, you know, um, try and make them no big deal conversations. He's making a comment, you know, hi, mum, what's an orgasm? Can we have, you know, chicken for dinner? Sort of mm. in the same sort of theory. Um, so reply, normalise it. So it makes mm-hmm. it every everyday conversation um, because you teach your kids lots of things. You teach them how to walk. You teach them how to use cutlery, you know, when they start driving. So, you know, using an opportunity to teach them and just make it normal conversation and be honest mm-hmm. with them too. So when the kids came to me when they were a bit older um, and if I didn't know something, I'd actually mm-hmm. just say, look, oh, I don't know. You know, and I'd be honest and upfront, and, and we would either go look it up together, or they come back and after they've looked it up mm. and try and try not to have an adult spin on it, you know, because mm. um, I think sometimes, particularly, what, you know, what we call the big ticket, big ticket items in our family, things like sex and drugs and pregnancy and things like that, I think we automatically go into this adult lens, and it makes us very uncomfortable when really all they're asking is some further information, and, and if you can do it in a relaxed manner um and so when the kids have got older yeah we're open to talk about anything and particularly when they got their later teens and in their 20s we also share our own experiences my kids come to me and I'll say "Mum, you know did you ever do this and if I did I was honest you're learning. Wow. yeah you yeah. know they'll learn from my experiences yeah really yeah, and yeah. you because would share it, it,
1: the story if that was if they asked wow yeah Gee. if they asked yeah. me
0: because you know I think sometimes we do a bit of a disservice to kids. They're smarter than we think they are. They probably mm. know and hear and pick up more than we than we think they do, and particularly mm. when they're young adults. We do a disservice by not sharing our own experiences with them. They know you're, you know, a and a human, but they also, mm. by the time they get older, know your 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 goods and your bads. Mm. Um, so I think it does a disservice, not when, particularly when they're older, not to share some of your stories. So yeah, my kids have come to me and asked me questions and I've been honest and said, Yeah, I did that and they say to me, well, "Was that a good thing?" And I will say, "Hell no! <laughs> it was yeah, really a really bad yeah. thing to have yeah, done." L- learn from my mistakes. <laughs> yeah, because I realise that you know, if I've done my job well, mm-hmm. um, that the kids will hopefully make the right decision for them. Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, I can't control them. I can't control what's going to happen once they leave the door. You know, walk mm-hmm. outside your house. It's really up to them to make the right choices for them. And then hopefully, if you've done your job well, that they'll do that. But you need to also be honest, so they. Mm-hmm. That they can make a well informed decision for themselves and trust yourself and trust mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm.
1: It's amazing because I think what comes into my head and again I didn't have um the most open relationship with my parents when it came to sort of more social things like I was very open about academics and you know what was happening <laughs> at school as far as that academics went but as far as like my social life, it was very sort of quietly kept um and I think what that generated was a little bit of a stigma and caused a little made certain things a little bit taboo which then made me feel like I was living on the edge when I was doing those things so you know, drinking alcohol when you're 16 or whatever. You know, for me, I felt like, oh, you know, look at me living on the edge here. Had my parents just, you know, said, okay, we'll have a glass of wine with us at dinner, certainly takes the edge off it. So then you're just like, oh, it's not even a big deal. So um, I wonder, though, you know, if my kids came to me and I've lived a relatively <laughs> wild life, too, so my kids came to me, were like, did you do this? I, I feel like it's interesting now that you've said, you know, you be honest and that sort of enabled you to form that really strong um, relationship and, and it's almost that mutual respect between the two of you. I would also then worry, oh, because I've said I've done it, are they now going to want to do it too? Because I've essentially said, yeah, I did it. You know, like, do you know what I mean? Did that ever pop into your head? Definitely. So look, you
0: know, when the kids were 15 and 16 in that, no, we wouldn't have shared then. So again, it had to be age appropriate. So when they sure. were heading into what I would call begin merging adulthood, because even though, in know, Australia, okay, 18 year an adult, there's 17 and you know they're starting to emerge through. So we were on yeah. having honest conversations there, but not when they were younger. Yeah. But the other thing is, too, we, we kind of classified it, I guess, a bit of a round table. And this was even when they were in primary school, particularly when they came about you know, making their, their uh, lunches. There were four people in the house, and each, each person in the house um, had just as much voice within it. Just because we were the parents didn't mean that the kids didn't have a voice in it. So mm. if they ever wanted to discuss something, We'd have a family meeting and we would sit at the table. Yeah, yeah. We'd sit at the table. That was one of the conversations was about the the uh, lunches and the kids would present, literally present wow. to a degree. They would say, look, mum or dad, look, we don't want to do this. So one of the other ones was they didn't want to do um, religious studies anymore in primary school mm-hmm. and they told us they didn't want to do it. So we said, okay, well, if you don't want to do it, you have to tell us why, you need to give us more information. And then we will talk about it and then we'll go from there. So they went away and wrote a letter. <laughs> so I got a letter. I've kept the letters, I've got multiple letters over oh, the years. That's so right good. through the teenage years, yeah. So they kept the letter putting the argument of why they felt that they didn't need to go to do religious studies. Um, and what and what they felt would be the benefit if they didn't. Um, and it was a really good present argument, I have to say. It was a good argument. So we said, okay, you've thought this through. Yeah. Um, we talked about it. We said, okay, well, if you're not going to do that, what are the classes you're going to want to do? And we, we negotiated that. And then they did. They went forward and they didn't have to do religious studies. Just the same as when my daughter wanted to go to an underage sort of a nightclub thing in the city. Yeah. At that time we felt she was a little bit too young she presented some but like, I, I think I should be able to go mm. she gave us a letter <laughs> yeah. giving you know telling us how should we get there who should we get there uh, she's even looked at the bus timetable and everything yeah so and again you can't say be open if we're not willing to talk and listen yeah so like, okay radio so yeah so that's really where that open conversation is. So when you asked me about when they're younger, about being honest, when they're 15 or 16, no, we probably wouldn't have gone into great detail. Yes. They might have said, Mum, did you drink? And I might have said, yeah, yeah. I did, but I shouldn't have. It wasn't really a really good thing to have done. Yeah. When okay. they got to 17 and 18, yes, they said, Mum, did you drink and did you ever get drunk and what happened when you were drunk? And yeah. Then we would be more honest because, you know, it was more, I guess, age appropriate for them.
1: Yeah, And I guess
0: from, in our house anyway, I felt like from 15, particularly going to 18, it mm-hmm. morphed from, I guess, beforehand I was their manager and I was the manager of the house mm-hmm. to sort of morph into, I guess, more of a consultant. You know, um I, I didn't tell them how to do I didn't tell yeah. them how to do things all the yeah. time. Because at the yeah. end of the day you don't want them to hit eighteen all of a sudden being a big wide world and they haven't had to problem solve, they haven't had to find resolution on their own that you know, you actually want to teach those skills. Again, mm-hmm. you teach them everything else. So by the time they hit sort of eighteen and heading out into the world, I guess they were more well rounded. Mm-hmm. Um, but
1: yeah. How do you deal uh with discipline when you are sitting there going, you know, there's that mutual respect, but then obviously they've stuffed up their kids. Um, I, I know this is probably, again, an age-appropriate thing, but just generally how, how did you go about that?
0: If it was something that we would say were the big ticket ones or core things, like if you lied. See, mm-hmm. in our house you were never in trouble if you did something wrong. Just don't cover it up. Just be up front because mm-hmm. we can always deal with it. So I mm-hmm. guess you they probably got to more trouble or discipline if they lied about something
1: yeah
0: um so that would probably be the, be the main one look honestly it depended on what it was um and we would pick the things that mattered honestly mm. so my kids bedrooms were a disgrace. <laughs> like when they got to an age where they said mum stop making our bed we want to do it ourselves mm. i had to say okay fair enough now were they going to make it as often as i w- would have No. Were they going to do it to the calibre that I would (laughs) have? Definitely not. Would they do it at all sometimes? No. Yeah. But I sort of thought that's their little world, that's their domain, Mm. it doesn't really matter. So I guess I picked the things that Mm. were important because having a dirty room or, you know, not making their bed, if they were going to school and they were happy and they were respectful um, and, you know, showing all those sort of things, that was going to be more important to me than if they didn't make their bed and things like that. So Mm -hmm. I guess we sort of picked what was the important things. Now, obviously, when they're very, very young, it was was dangerous and hot and things like that. But
1: Yeah. uh, yeah. Do you, when it came to discipline? because I always wonder this, particularly as a, you know, let's say teenage years, um, was it a matter of, okay, for example, someone's lied. uh, Did you sort of say, okay, I'm now going to take a time out, have a chat with Rod, we're going to figure out what the best sort of, um, you know, solution is around this in in making them understand what they've done is wrong or did you just automatically say you lied this is the consequence like how did you sort of go about it so there was one incident and this is um
0: probably will answer it so my Mm. my younger one um must have gone to a party or, or gathering and must have had some alcohol that I was not aware of yeah and in his wisdom or one of his friends in his wisdom put it up on social media. Oh, <laughs> so, gosh. so he got caught out. Oh. <laughs> so I remember he came home and, and I said, so, buddy, you got something to tell me. And I said, I've seen your social media. And we laughed about it at first. And then I sat down with him and I said to him, look, I know, you know, we really just discussed that, that, look, I get these things happen and I know that, but, you know, please don't hide it. Did I ground him or did I take mm-hmm. anything off him? No because mm-hmm. he was a little bit older in his older teens. But we did have a discussion, which is just be open about it, mm-hmm. you know, and I think emotionally it has more impact on him or it did have more impact on him and probably has emotionally has more impact on both the kids when mm-hmm. they feel that you've let the parent down. Mm-hmm. Like he was probably more, more upset because I, I said to him, look, I'm just disappointed that you, you know, you, you just weren't up front. Yeah. And I think the thing is, too, if you don't come down so hard, mm. the likelihood is they will be more upfront with you in yeah, my experience okay. anyway. So when mm. he sort of looked at me, I, we talked about, you know, drinking, how much you should drink, what happened when you drank. Mm. So I didn't discipline him in regards to taking everything off. but he used as an opportunity to, I guess, educate him and have some conversations about drinking responsibly. Mm. You know, what does that actually mean? What does that look like? talking about, you know, people who, who drink to have a good time and people who have a good time to drink. So, you know, mm-hmm. the differences and all that sort of stuff. So I use as that opportunity, I guess, differently. But when they were younger, yeah, there were times that there would be discipline. My kids would probably say I was a very hard disciplinarian in the sense that it was if I made a call, mm-hmm. if it was wrong or right, well, sometimes I thought I'd really mucked it up, but I just stuck by it. You know, if yeah, I said no, nice. then no's it So yes. I was consistent. Um, though my daughter used to always make me laugh because I would say to her, you know, Ali, what does no mean? And she'd look at me and go, maybe? <laughs> just <laughs> just like, <laughs> you know, and that would make, you know, i sort of laugh about that because she'd always yeah. push it. Um, yeah. But, yeah, just being consistent regarding that. But yes. I guess the teenage years, everyone sort of thinks, oh, it's horrible, it's mm. terrible. Mm. I enjoyed it because, you mm. know, they're these young emerging little adults. They're mm. still, you know, it's, it's a really exciting time and, and I think sometimes what happens is, we get caught up in the managing of them Mm. instead of being a consultant for them. Yeah. And I think sometimes that gets us a bit unstuck.
1: Yeah. In my opinion anyway. No, no, it makes sense. Um, obviously so growing up for myself as a teenager I mean the internet had just come in and certainly when I was much younger it didn't exist so I, uh, you know and so we're bringing up children in a completely different mm. day and age these days now I remember when I wanted to know so we'd get out you know I remember it was year five got the dictionary the first thing we flipped through the dictionary to find the word sex we read the definition no one knew what it meant and we were all like and then we like slammed the dictionary shut we're like cool that was us living on the You know, like, whereas now it's like Google it, Siri will help you out with that. You know, someone will have a YouTube thing showing you exactly what it is. So, curious, did you, and this is where I think fostering that strong relationship so that because your kids will find out the answers to what they're looking for. If they don't come to you, they're going to find it out elsewhere. So, did, was the internet sort of at play when you were bringing up your kids? And if so, how did you sort of navigate that?
0: Um, So the internet, I guess, came when they were a little bit uh, later primary school, but it was there. So, But in primary school particularly, we had a rule that there was no screen time before or after school, apart from on Fridays when Mm. they could actually either watch a a TV show obviously age appropriate. So we actually didn't have screen time. And the whole reason Mm. for that was they had to play. They had to be kids. Um, We had to give them the opportunity just to be kids because, you know, technology and everything was knocking at the door in the real world by technology and and things that they were going to be exposed to was at your door and knocking at your door. Mm -hmm. Now I remember when Ali asked one of her friends to come over and play and I heard the little friend say, oh, can we watch TV? (laughs) My daughter said, well, we're not allowed to watch TV. (laughs) And then honestly within two minutes they'd forgotten that they were outside playing an absolute absolute ball. And actually my kids and I've talked about this now that they're older and they've actually said it was probably one of the best best things to have done. Mm -hmm. When they got into Later primary school and high school, internet was definitely there. Mm-hmm. And, again, it, we, it was still open conversations, but there were boundaries. So when they were, I think they had iPads they were just coming in um, for their schooling. So in the evenings, iPads, internet and everything was downstairs so they didn't have access to it. Mm-hmm. And just like everything you teach your kids, the older they got, so then it came down to iPads but internet might be on for a little bit longer. And then it got, you know, I can't remember exactly the stages, but it went in Mm -hmm. stages. So by the time that they were, I guess, you know, in year 12 where they were 18, internet was on and they had the computers and that with them. Mm -hmm. But we also talked about what they would see and if they did see anything that they would come down and talk to us, um, and which they did do that as well. They they did. did Yeah, they actually came and said, look, I've seen something. And I remember Mm -hmm. when the kids got social media um, they were a bit later getting it, actually. Um, mm-hmm. One of the one of the kids actually, I think, had Instagram or Facebook, and I I had access to their to their social media. And and one of the kids was a bit peeved at me and said, "Well, why do you still have access to it?" And mm-hmm. I explained. I said, "Well, look, social media is, is literally like someone coming to your front door, knocking on it, and walking through." I said, mm-hmm. "Would you let that happen?" Well, no, I wouldn't. I said, well, "It's kind of the same thing. We're teaching you to know who you're going to open the door to." And I said, it's the same and we teach you everything else. And I said, there will come a point where I won't be logging in and checking. And that happened. It morphed over time. I said, I'm just teaching you of how to use it properly, just the same as when you get in the car. We're going to teach you how to drive the car. We're going to teach you to make sure that you're safe in the car. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's the same sort of concept. So, yeah, yeah, it was, it's, It look, it, it's difficult. Mm. Um, but at the end of the day, when particularly when they're, they're young and with the internet or even in the early years of um, high school, you're still the parent. You know, you, mm-hmm. you, can, you can actually turn the modem off. Yeah, yeah. I never had a problem. And <laughs> I never had a problem with my kids going to bed hating me because I knew in the morning mm-hmm. that they would still love me. Yeah. So even if they that's... went to bed and I said no or they couldn't have something and my daughter would, my daughter would write in her diary, I hate mum, she'd <laughs> let me do whatever it was. <laughs> I never had a problem going to bed with my kids not liking me or hating me on that particular time because I knew mm-hmm. in the morning when they wake up they'll still love me.
1: Yeah, geez, that's a big one, isn't it? I think the people pleasing me sits there going, Oh, you know, but even my kids need to think that I'm amazing, you know. But you can't be amazing all the time, and you need to be okay with not being amazing to them all the time. Otherwise, you're not, you're probably not doing your job if you're letting them get away with everything, you know.
0: That's exactly it, you know. When you're, you really, particularly when they're younger, yeah, Mm. your job is to teach them and and keep them safe and all that as well. And that will mean sometimes you're going to be the bad person, and Mm. that's okay. That's
1: all right. Yeah. Yeah. So let's come full circle. So you did seven years um, of Mm -hmm. being at home um, with the the kids. And then at what point did you decide, yep, ready to go back now to work?
0: I think when the kids were sort of later primary school and and I was thinking, okay, I need something more than this. Um, I didn't know what it was going to be, but I, I started to think I needed to do more. I didn't want to go back to nursing. I, I guess I'd sort of been through that. Mm. Um, and then my husband at the time was working for a, uh, one of the large construction companies. And we really sat down one day and just went, it was on flexibility and choice. So when we sat down and said, let's open the business, I thought, yeah, actually I I could do that. I I could slowly, I guess, wean myself back into the workforce. I'm not going to be working for somebody else. And if I work a couple of hours, I could still drop off kids and pick up. Um, So it was really a matter of me thinking, okay, I'd like to do something else, but I don't really know. And when opening up the company also gave me that opportunity to wean myself into something. Mm
1: -hmm. Um, So yeah. Yeah. And more manageable because kids were in school and all of those things as well. Yeah,
0: so I had to
1: have the flexibility to drop off the kids when
0: I wanted to, pick up the kids when I wanted to, when the kids are sick and you have to to pick them up from school and be home with them. So I I just needed that flexibility. Mm -hmm. And because I wasn't really sure what I wanted to go back to or do, it also gave me an opportunity just to, to try getting back into the
1: workforce and see what I thought. Yeah, makes sense. And then became a success in the next chapter of your life. (laughs) At least I believe you did. That was, yeah. I mean, that,
0: that is a bizarre one because when we opened the company, I, yeah, I honestly thought that I would just answer the phones and yeah. then help out a little bit. And yeah, who would have thought that I would end up
1: stepping in as a CEO? That was that's a bit oh, bonkers. Honestly. Yeah, that's amazing, isn't it? Like, you just can't predict this stuff with like where life will take you. It's, um, yeah, no, and it's probably it's, a good
0: life lesson in regards to being a parent in mm-hmm. a sense. So just relax a little bit and go with the flow because. You just never know. You know, yeah. I'd wake up some days and i think, yep, I've got this down pat, particularly when my kids are under two. If I feed this way and I burp that way and I get my daughter to do this and da it's going to be great. And within half an hour it all gone to, it all gone belly up and I went, like, well, that didn't work out. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, it's
1: just... <laughs> basically relax and go with the flow because you just never know what's going to happen. It is such a take it a day at a time sort of thing. I know that even with me with nap time and, and things like that, I'm like, great, I've got the amazing sleep schedule. They're just napping perfectly. And yeah. then, you know, you hit a developmental milestone or you just hit a Thursday and they decide, not doing that anymore, <laughs> mum. <laughs> so I feel like I just, I've just had to learn so much patience and really just to, you know, and also relinquish that control that I love to. To have yeah. around feeling like I've got I've got this down. Um, I don't think that really works um, when you're a mother. So no,
0: I I, I think that was a naivety of myself as well when I became a mum. I thought, oh, well, you know, I can do this. Mm. Totally missing the equation, which is there's actually another being involved in this that yes. actually has their own needs and wants. And yeah. guess what? At the end of the day, you're particularly when they're very young, you know, you're their servant.
1: <laughs> yes, <laughs> you know?
0: yeah. you're relying. You know, they're relying on you to deliver. So it's, uh, it's up to them really.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I like to finish every conversation off with asking all of our mums how motherhood has changed them. So what comes to mind when I ask that question?
0: How has motherhood changed me? It's, it's made me less self-focused um, and generally have joy for others.
1: Mm.
0: Um, it's made me a lot more relaxed. And, and picking the things, I guess, that r- really matter. Um, and probably the, the big kicker is for me, which um, it's been so soul enriching. Mm. Um, that was one that I didn't quite understand what happened for me. I, I think because when I looked at motherhood, I looked at it as a role. I didn't look at it as um, a life extension of who I am. Mm. So, that makes sense. Oh, absolutely,
1: no, lovely. Yeah. Well, thank you, Justine. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe, leave us a review and give us five stars if you're feeling fancy. By subscribing to the podcast, every new episode will drop into your podcast library each week. Subscribing is also such an essential way for people to find us and to enable us to grow. Want to be part of the Mum Life community? Join our Facebook group and follow us on Instagram at mumlifepodcast. Until next time, keep living your best mum life.